Well, we finally showed you the whole DVD, didn't we? If you've been with us through the month of December, we've been giving you little pieces of the story. The story. The story that eclipses all other stories. And if you've been with us through the month of December, we've been sharing this story chapter by chapter, the big picture story that God has written on the pages of his word, the story that answers the questions that everybody asks, either out loud or internally, they ask these questions. How did all that exists come into being? How how did I get here? Why am I here? What went wrong? Because clearly there's something wrong in the world that I live in. Is there any hope for this crazy world that I'm a part of? That's a question many people have. And what's next? What does the future for the world look like? What does the future look like for me? The story answers these big, really big questions. And we've been sharing that if you're Joining us maybe for the first time today, we've been sharing that story. I'd like to invite all of you to join me in the book of 1 John, which is very near the end of your Bible, if you would go there with me. Whether you're using a Bible this morning, we can provide you with one. If you got out of the house without your Bible, then just raise your hand. 1 John chapter 3 is where I'd like to to ask you to go with me. And and, uh, in your bulletin, there is a little note page would encourage you to grab that as well. That'll be helpful along the way. And also you're going to find in your bulletin this little booklet, which is is really the, the companion to the DVD that we just shared to get together. The story, the story that God has written and continues to write, it can be told as we've been learning in four major movements, or we could even call them chapters if we want to keep the the word picture alive. Chapter one is creation, and the DVD beautifully kind of portrayed that for us. Chapter two was the fall. Rebellion plunged mankind into suffering and pain and death. And then the third chapter in the story was rescue, as God, faithful to his promises, sent us a rescuer in the person of his own son, Jesus Christ. And through our faith in him and in him alone, we are saved. Amen. Amen. So creation and the fall and rescue. We've explored all three of those chapters in some depth together. But this glorious, wonderful story doesn't end with rescue. And that brings us today to hang out together with truths that form the fourth and final chapter of the story, which is restoration. Today, right now, if you are living in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ through simple saving faith in who he is and what he has done for you, then restoration is in your future. It's in your future right now. These things we're about to share together under this fourth chapter heading. Not only is it good for us to know what is coming in our future, but in knowing what is coming, that infuses our hearts, brothers and sisters, with, with hope, with assurance, with encouragement. 
that can carry us now, right now, as we continue to confront in this life the consequences of a, uh, that are part of living in a fallen world. Restoration truth gives us tangible things we can hold on to right now. And so it's an essential part of the story. It's a hope builder. It's a, it's a confidence creator for us to hang out with restoration truth. Really, restoration is the end of the beginning of the story that for the Christian has no end. Amen? Amen and amen. As lovers of the Lord Jesus, we experience many wonderful, amazing blessings from salvation, and we experience them right now in this earthly life. But full realization of all that God has promised as as a part of our rescue Well, that has yet to be experienced. And we don't experience all that God has for us until we go to meet Jesus at death or Jesus returns and takes us to be with him as he has promised he will do. He's coming back, yes? So either we will meet Jesus at death or we will meet him as he returns and takes us to be with him. We're going to talk about those things that are a part of that that. Um, that that part of our our story together. So think about this. What what awaits us? What is it that awaits you and me who are in Jesus today? Well, on your note page, we have a few places we'd like to go and, and unpack that question. According to Scripture, the first thing that is going to happen to us at death or upon Jesus' return is that our souls will finally be clothed in moral perfection. Now, just think about that for one second, what that statement is saying. Upon the death of a believer in Jesus, and let's assume that's us right now, at death, the immaterial, spiritual person that we are, the real person that we are, our soul, leaves our now dead, physical, sin-infected body that has been our house on earth for our whole life, And scripture says we instantly enter the presence of the Lord Jesus. Amen is right. Now, we still retain our distinct identities, our distinct personalities in this spiritual place that we are now in. We are known individually by God. We we know each other. We will recognize each other. We just don't have, following our death, that physical body that we rely on so much for identification here and now in this world. At the moment of death, escorted by angelic beings, according to Luke 16, our now bodiless selves enter into the presence of the Lord Jesus. If you can imagine that for just a moment. Writing to the Corinthian believers on the subject of death of a Christian, Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians 5.8, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and where? At home with the Lord. Away from this body and at home with the Lord. Now what that verse tells us is that there is no transitional holding place, no intermediate stopover for the Christian at the point of death. We don't don't suddenly go into some kind of a soul sleep and, and sleep for a thousand years or whatever it is until God's program does whatever it's going to do. 
We breathe our last breath here, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 5.8, and instantly we are with the Lord Jesus. Now recall, if you would, the words of Jesus to that repentant thief on the cross at his crucifixion. Do you remember this moment? Jesus says to the, to the thief on the cross who confesses faith in him, Today you will be with me. Today in paradise. Luke twenty three forty three. The thief's body, yes, it remains on the cross. And then it's buried. But the Lord Jesus received that thief's soul. The real person that that man was into heaven on that very day. And he will be with Jesus forever. We're going to meet that guy. I'm excited about that thought. I like that thought. Stephen, as he was being stoned, Stephen, first martyr of the church, as he's being stoned to death for loving Jesus in Acts chapter 7, he cries out a prayer even as the stones are raining down on him. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Receive my soul. Receive the real me. Absent from the body, at home with the Lord. So after we regain our composure upon seeing the risen, glorified, exalted Lord Jesus, who all of our earthly life we've only been able to see through eyes of faith, after seeing him with our true eyes, we're going to suddenly be aware, brothers and sisters, suddenly be aware that an incredible change has occurred within us we suddenly experience a complete freedom, a complete release from the presence of sin in our lives, which is something that none of us have ever experienced. Not one of us has ever known that. Even though as a Christian in this life, we have been made spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit, we've been regenerated, And we have been justified, Scripture says, pronounced not guilty by God in the court of heaven. We have a legal standing of being perfect in Jesus. And even though the Holy Spirit has been sanctifying us little by little by little over the course of our earthly life so that we look a little more like Jesus today than we did yesterday, even though all of that is true, we have only ever known in this life a partial freedom, a partial release from sin's indwelling presence through our faith in Jesus. Lodged in our old nature, sin remains a stubborn enemy in our Christian life right now. And you're saying, yeah, Tim, tell me something I don't know, right? We all know this to be the reality, yes? Oh, yes. Sadly, we say yes. As Christians, we war constantly with sin in our inner being. Its penalty has been paid for by Jesus. Its power has been broken in our lives. But its presence has never completely gone out of our life. But, oh, when we see Jesus, either at death or at his coming, that old nature is completely and forever abolished we experience an instantaneous and complete moral perfecting of our soul. I can't wait. Can you wait? We have to wait. But we don't want to wait. 
Now, there are many places in Scripture that declare this to be true, and one of the clearest and best known is there near the top of your note page, but your Bible is already open to this place. First John chapter 3, I would call your attention to verse 2. John writes, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall what? Be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Among the many things that Jesus is, He is morally perfect. Free from any sin. Hebrews 4.15 declares that. He's the Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God in John chapter 1. We shall be like Him in His moral perfection. The presence of sin completely removed from us forever. So many other passages affirm this truth to us as well. Some of them are listed there on your note page for, for maybe looking at a little later. But let's linger again for just a second on that 1 John 3, 2 verse. Beloved, we are God's children. When, church? Now, right now, we are God's children. And what we will be, that's future. That's not right now. That's, that's future That has not yet appeared. But we know, we know, we know, we know in the deepest part of who we are without a shadow of a doubt that when he appears or when we go to meet him at death, whichever it is, we shall be like him. Though it is impossible to describe what this new glorified in Jesus nature is, will be like for us, what we can say is this. As much as a morally perfected human being can be like Jesus without becoming deity, that's what we're going to be. We don't become little gods, do we? No, we do not. But as much as a morally perfected human being can be like Jesus without becoming deity, that's what we will be. Our war with sin is over. Never again will we experience its lure, its attraction, its guilt, its shame, its alienating, separating curse. Ever again. Never. That's the restoration of the soul. That's in your future, brothers and sisters. That's in my future. Can you get excited about that? Oh, yeah. But as you see there on your page, we're not just perfected in soul. Restoration means also a physical body that is made perfect. We're going to be like Jesus in this way as well. In that we will be given a new body, a a transformed body that is uniquely and perfectly designed to exist, enjoy, and participate in a heavenly environment. These bodies aren't made for that. We need a new body. (laughs) as we said a moment ago if we die before the lord returns we instantly enter his presence as as our body bodiless spiritual selves distinct identifiable known all of that somehow it's a mystery but it, it that happens but that's not how we remain forever as as bodiless spirits philippians 3 verse 21 Paul says, by the Holy Spirit. 
But our citizenship is in heaven, and and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, get this, transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. If Jesus can bring... All of, of, of all sin under his authority. Do you think he can do something about these bodies? Absolutely. One day, every believer is going to have a body that is of the kind of resurrection body that Jesus has. Now, that means it's a body that is distinct in form and in identity. No one will be just like you. You're one of a kind. It may well be a body that has characteristics that allow it to pass through walls and not be bound by the limitations of of time and space or other physical laws that bind us now. Jesus' resurrection body uh, was of that kind. At the same time, this new body possesses some some familiar physical characteristics. It can eat and it can can be touched. You can grab hold of it. The disciples did that with Jesus and his resurrected body. Jesus' facial features were retained. His size and his stature did not change after the resurrection. The disciples knew him, knew him as he looked when he was prior to the cross. So, so all of that, we would assume, will be true for us. Apparently, this new body that we're going to have retains its gender distinctives. Jesus retained his maleness. Since God made male and female in his image, And this is part of how we recognize one another. Apparently, these new bodies will retain their maleness, their femaleness as well. While there's no marriage in heaven, that doesn't mean that the image of God does not reflect itself with our new bodies, just like we are now, male and female. In fact, it's quite likely that we retain in our new bodies our ethnic and racial distinctives as well. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus tells us in Matthew 8 at the great marriage supper of the Lamb that the redeemed souls are going to come from east and west, from all the nations, and join Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at that great feast. And it says that all tribes and tongues and peoples and nations in Revelation 5 are praising Jesus. So we retain, apparently, our ethnic distinctives as well in these new bodies. You will be and I will be New and improved. (laughs) How improved? Well, check this out. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 4. For we know that if this tent, this body that is our earthly home, is destroyed, if it dies, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, in this body, we what, church? Oh, we groan, don't we groan? And the more birthdays that we have, the more groaning that we do, right? Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly body, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. These new bodies are eternal, and they never wear out. All doctors are out of a job. Right? The mortal is swallowed up. And if you like the thought of that, hear these words filled with restoration hope. 1 Corinthians 15, 49 and following. 
And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable, this, inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed In a flash, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. I read those verses over my dad after he took his last breath. How precious that was to me. That truth. Our physical transformation will be an instantaneous, in a flash, in a twinkle of an eye event, out with the old and in with the new. I can't wait. How about you? (laughs) How about you? Okay. All right. We ought to be able to get excited. And if restoration is in store for us in this way, we've been rescued and we've been redeemed from the curse of sin If restoration is going to happen to us, why not to all of creation? For all of creation was under that same curse in the garden. Remember that? The creation was cursed by the fall. The work of Jesus, we know, does not just have eternal good in store for us, but it has eternal good for creation also. And we need to think about that. Listen to what Paul writes concerning all of this, an insight that we may not think about all that often as we look at our physical world and we enjoy the beauty of Idlewild. One of the things we may not think about is that creation is groaning under the burden of sin. But this is what Paul will say to us. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Who are the sons of God, church? Us, you and me. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. Creation didn't want that curse. But because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been what? Groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Creation has endured the ravages of sin up to this very moment, earthquakes and floods and drought and pestilence and exploitation and extinction and death, death, death. It groans under this burden. But God promises restoration to creation. In Revelation 21, as John gets to peek into the future, here's what he says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A return, church family, a return to the beauty, the harmony, the perfection of Eden. That's part of restoration. But it's even more than that. There's more going on than that. If you flip your note page over, 
There's an aspect of the restoration story that you might not have ever thought of before. I had a seminary professor point all of this out to me one day, 35 years ago now, and and it has stuck with me as a treasured truth ever since. And I have shared it with us before, but maybe you've not, not heard me share this. My professor invited me to turn in my Bible to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, which I did, and he asked me to read it, and it goes like this. The Lord God took the man, that is Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it and to keep it. Our conversation between myself and my professor then went something like this. He said, Tim, have you ever stopped to consider that before mankind's fall into rebellion and sin, God had assigned him the honorable vocation of being a gardener and a caretaker of Eden? Had there never been humankind's plunge into sin, bringing death and separation from God, we very likely would all be nurturing and caring for the great garden of God. We would be gardeners, all of us, on his vast estate. Certainly not an unenjoyable assignment, I think he said. Gardeners in the Eden of God, who wouldn't like that? But mankind did rebel, and sin did enter our hearts, and we did say to God in Genesis 3, forget you, we can do this life better on our own than with you, and we walked away from God. God in his perfect justice could at that moment have said very well, you shall live forever with the consequences of your sin, spiritually dead and separated from me. But from his place of love, from his place of grace, he does not do that. He gives us Jesus. Amen. He gives us Jesus. He offers us salvation and he makes possible a different story for us. He saves forever forever those who place their faith in his son. And then what does God do after that? Does he merely restore us to our pre-fall vocation of gardeners? Eden tenders? Is that what we might reasonably expect from God, that he would restore us to the vocation of gardener? To be restored to that place from which we had fallen would be an incredibly generous gesture on the part of God. Just to be gardeners again, that would be pure grace. In fact, if we lost that privilege and we had been demoted to some lesser role, we would not have thought God was unkind or unjust. But what does God do? What does he do? Well, he gives us infinitely more than we lost. My professor then had me read Romans chapter 8, verses 15, 16, and 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of what? Adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba. What's that word mean? Daddy or Papa, doesn't it? By whom we cry, Daddy, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
In other words, brothers and sisters, God, God calls us out of the field, as it were, and into the mansion. And this on the back side of our rebellion. Is that not pure grace? He transfers our belongings from the servant's quarters to the best room in the master's house, the heaven house. He changes our whole standing and status from gardener in his service to a member of his family. And that on the backside of our sin. A brother to his own son and an heir, a co-heir with Jesus of everything that life in heaven is. Whatever belongs to Jesus in heaven belongs to who? Us. Co-heirs of it all. This is nothing, I would submit to you, this is nothing less than restoration on steroids. And anyone who says, oh, if we could only go back to Genesis chapter 2, does not know what they are saying. You don't want to go back to Genesis chapter 2. I don't. Which would you rather be today, Christian? A gardener or an heir with Jesus of all that is in heaven? Tell me, which would you rather be? An heir. Okay, great. Not a hard choice, is it? Adoption into God's family. What a wonderful dimension of our salvation. And an aspect of it that we don't think about as much as we we should or thank God for it as often as we could. We're, We're heirs. We're sons and daughters of the king. 1 John 3, 1, there, as your Bible is open to that place, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. How great indeed is the love that God has lavished on us. Fellow Christian, we will soon, no matter how old we are in this moment right now, we will soon be clothed in the moral perfection that is Jesus. The battle with sin in our life will be over forever. We will have new bodies perfectly suited to take in and enjoy all that that is part of the new heaven and the new earth that God is making. And we will have exchanged our coveralls of the gardener for the robes of the air. That's all part of restoration. That's part of our future. You excited about that? Now, if all this sounds too good to be true, it's it's not. I mean, heaven's not a fairy tale. Restoration is not make-believe. What we have shared briefly, of which there's infinitely more that could be shared, all of it's going to happen. In fact, here's how 1 Corinthians 2.9 puts it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Yeah, is right. Thank you, Scott, for that exclamation point. God cannot lie. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. Nobody's even been able to think of what God has prepared for those who love Him. 
Now, because this restoration is so certain from the God who cannot lie, be certain that you know the Savior today. Amen? Because the only way that you will experience restoration is if you've experienced salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. No other way. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you want to be part of the, the story and the story of restoration, you've got to be rescued, right? And Jesus is our rescuer. And for all of us who know Jesus, for us, because restoration is a certainty, let's determine, church family, to live now like we're going to heaven. Let's not live like we're not going, right? Let's live like we're going there. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all of us, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age as we do what? As we wait for the blessed hope. The blessed hope. What's the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we wait for restoration, live Jesus. Live like a citizen of heaven, because in truth, that is what you are. That's what we are. Amen? C.S. Lewis, you know the name? Yeah. Famous Oxford professor, author. As he was contemplating how to end his wonderful allegory on the Christian life called the Chronicles of Narnia. This is how he does it in the seventh book, the last book of that of that series called The Last Battle. The final paragraph of the last book reads like this. And I just love this. I would do it in a British accent, but then it would be a mess so here here it is the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that i cannot write them this is the end of all the stories and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after but for them it was only the beginning of the real story All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. We know the story, creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. Only God knows the great story, right? But that's the one he wants to share with us throughout all of eternity, through faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together, church. What glorious truth we have just bumped up against today. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word which which reveals these things to us that are a part of our future. We're excited about that. We look forward to that. And, and these truths give us hope. 
as we think about being released from from sin's power and grip in, in full measure and to have a brand new body that will enjoy your created new creation. It's just exciting to think about and to, to ponder the reality of us as sons and daughters of the King of glory, co-heirs with Jesus of all that heaven is. These are truths that, that just boggle our mind. They make us feel small, but that's perfect. That's just where we need to be today. All glory be to you, God who rescues, God who restores, and does infinitely more. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.